On March 31, 2010, Teresa Stone pulled into a parking space late that afternoon next to her husband's blue Chevy Malibu. It was the only other car in the parking lot. She immediately noticed that someone had closed his insurance agency's blinds. She thought it was odd that the blinds were closed because she remembered opening them that morning. Randy never closed the blinds before dark. Teresa had been out running errands and shopping all afternoon, so she was late returning to the office. She noticed when she unlocked the door, the deadbolt turned very easily, which meant that the deadbolt had not been engaged. Honey, where are you? Teresa called out to her husband as she entered the insurance office. She looked in the storage room, which showed no sign of disturbance. Teresa then checked Randy's office, looking for her husband, but he wasn't in there. She then walked to her smaller office that was down the hall, which also seemed ordinary, until she looked down. Her husband lay motionless on the floor near a copy machine next to her desk. Blood that had streamed from his left ear had begun to dry, and his head lay in a moist puddle of bone splinters and brain matter. A space heater that had toppled behind him bore a crimson smear. Blood spatter dotted furnitures and walls. Needless to say, it was a very gruesome sight for a wife to walk into. Randy's eyes had blackened and his lips were blue. Teresa screamed his name in terror, telling him to wake up. She stepped over him and reached for a wireless telephone headset. She called her parents to tell them that Randy had been shot and asked them to come to the office. Then she called 911. Oh my God, she said. 911, the call taker responded. Do you need police, fire, or medical? Yes, I do, please. Okay, take a breath. Where are you at? I... I just walked into the office and my my husband's lying on the floor in my office. Okay, listen to me. Listen to me. Where are you? I need the address of where you're at. Teresa Stone gave the dispatcher all of the information on what road the insurance agency was on, what suite, everything. And then the dispatcher asked, okay, now what's wrong with your husband? He's been, I don't know, there's blood everywhere, it's coming out of his ear. Obeying the dispatcher's instructions, Teresa left the office and waited for patrol officers to arrive. The first on the scene happened to be a member of her church. He quickly ran inside to check on Randy. He determined that Randy was dead and went back out to tell Teresa. She collapsed in the member's arms when she heard the news. The call to her parents had quickly spread through the New Hope Baptist Church's grapevine. Pastor Love heard word of it during a hospital call in South Kansas City. Soon, a church youth minister appeared outside the insurance office. And within minutes, Kim Love, the pastor's wife, pulled into the parking lot. Spotting Teresa, Kim wrapped an arm around her trying to comfort Teresa. She would tell her, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you, this is terrible. It wasn't long before Pastor Love soon appeared, nearly half an hour quicker than anticipated. Instead of comforting his congregation who stood outside the insurance office, he stood in the parking lot just observing the detectives. As officers taped off the crime scene, detectives began diligently working inside. Someone asked Kim to drive a shaky Teresa to a nearby restroom. Kim submitted to her duty, as she had throughout her entire marriage. But something about Teresa's demeanor made Kim wonder, did you do this? Unbeknownst to Teresa, 
she would soon find herself answering a lot of questions from investigators about her sordid affair with Pastor David Love. Welcome to another episode of Crimson Sin with Tams and Lee. I am your host, Tams and Lee. Full show notes and sources can be found at tamsandleecrimsonsin.potbean.com. Today's case is about a love affair that a woman had with her pastor for nearly 10 years. I have to say this case was just wild. Normally when you think of someone who is a minister or a pastor or whatever, you expect them to be a holy person who abides by their religion. People in these positions are expected to be above and beyond. Great role models, you know, the epitome of what they preach. Just like police officers and those in authoritative positions, they are to be held at a higher standard, you know, like lead by example. Unfortunately, this isn't always the case. We are all human, right? But this pastor committed more than just one sin. Randy and Teresa Stone had known each other since they were young both growing up in the northeast area of Kansas. They were even high school sweethearts at one point. The couple were so close that many expected them to get married right after they graduated high school. However, Randy had other plans in mind after graduating. He enlisted in the Marines and was stationed overseas for several years, returning home in 1990. When he returned, Teresa was waiting for him. They reconnected and seemingly picked up right where they left off. Shortly after they reconciled, Randy and Teresa got married. Their two children, Michael and Miranda, followed quickly after. Randy was described as a tough guy with a soft side. He was a fitness fanatic who thrived in competition. His competitiveness is probably what made his job as an insurance agent so successful. It was one of the most successful in the region. But he also wrote poetry for his wife, kept a journal, drove his church's Sunday school bus, and advised the congregation on financial issues. Teresa worked as a customer service representative and then as a licensed agent in Randy's Noland Road office. Their desks were mere feet apart. Even though they spent so much time together, it seemed to solidify their relationship. She proved to be a reliable and steady business partner. Teresa would open the office every morning and allow Randy to manage both the clients and the relationship with Farmers Insurance, whose products they sold. When they weren't at work, Randy and Teresa volunteered at their church, New Hope Baptist. Both spent many hours in the church. Teresa would help in the kitchen and sometimes sing in the choir. The leadership team at the church in Independence, Missouri stated that the couple was among the first people to sign up for different events. Pastor David Love came to New Hope Baptist Church in 1999. He was immediately a hit with the congregation. The pastor was articulate, he was attractive, and he was very charismatic. Love was born and raised in the Midwest where his parents were missionaries. He attended a Baptist college in the South to polish his preaching skills and was a youth minister and pastor at two churches before joining New Hope Baptist. During his college years, he met his wife, Kim, who relished in her role as a mother, pastor's wife, and church secretary. The two married on June 26, 1982. She displayed a fierce Christian faith and a truthful and forgiving nature that Sometimes others thought was just fake, like no one can be that, you know, forgiving and that honest, you know, so people tended to think that she was fake most of the time, like it was just all a sham. Love was a smooth and mesmerizing speaker as he adhered to the illustrative preaching style. 
laying out a chunk of scripture and then systematically explaining it bit by bit. Randy was one of his most devoted followers. Although Randy and the pastor would sometimes argue about church business, he felt that Love was one of the most influential people in his life. Randy seemed to like the demanding interpretation of Baptist Christianity that his pastor preached. He once told a friend that the more mainstream Southern Baptist convention was too liberal and willing to compromise. Before attending New Hope Baptist, Love found himself embroiled in financial issues that split a Virginia congregation in the 1990s. He found himself in similar trouble quickly at his independence ministry when he would not account for roughly $30,000 that had gone missing from a fund for missionary salaries. When he was confronted about the matter, he grew angry, stating, I will not let a church checkbook run my ministry. While these issues arose, Love's wife Kim started to grow wary of other women who seemed to be attracted to handsome preachers. She was recounted as shooing her husband away from other women who she thought were being too friendly. Needless to say, her relationship with Teresa Stone was perceived by others as friendly, dramatic, fragile, and competitive, all of which could occur within one single day. So after Randy Stone's death on March 31st, 2010, Detective Keith Rose Warren was dispatched to the scene and immediately noticed that whoever committed the act had to be someone Randy knew and trusted, because nowhere in the offices were there any signs of a struggle. It appeared as if Randy had been ambushed because he was obviously shot in the head while his back was turned. All signs pointed to the killer being someone Randy had known. The location wasn't somewhere that one would call opportunistic for such a random act of violence. The insurance office was situated on a road that is considered one of Independence's busiest commercial streets. Robbery was also out of the question because not only was Randy's wallet still in his back pocket, but investigators also found $151 still sitting on a desk. So this took robbery out of the question because the money was still there. And again, it would be strange for just a random act of violence to break out on a very busy street. Detectives didn't find the murder weapon but did recover a 40 caliber shell casing from the floor near Randy's feet. The only firearm in the office was a 380 Ruger sitting in a drawer, but the most interesting thing they found was a torn up birthday note that was in an office trash can. The note read, Happy birthday, love. You are so very precious to my heart. I care for you more than anyone on earth. I'm not in control of things yet, but when we are fully together, your birthday will always be exciting, full of surprises, romantic, and all about loving you. You are the center of my world. I praise you. I adore you. I am blessed by you. I need you. I love you. As investigators searched the office for more clues, detectives Steve Schmidley and Jerry Stewart brought Teresa Stone to police headquarters to conduct her first interview. The detectives learned that the couple had been going through some financial strains because of business changes that they had planned. But despite some recent stress, Teresa insisted the marriage was strong and told them we were very much in love. The detectives asked her about a large handgun, a Glock that one of Randy's police officer friends had seen him with. Teresa remembered only the little firearm, guessing that Randy must have sold the bigger pistol about a year earlier. This is when Detective Schmidtley brought up the birthday letter, stating that they had recovered it from the bottom of her trash can. 
Teresa maintained that she didn't recall it. Then Schmidtley and Stewart scurried out to see if crime scene techs had returned with a photo of the note to jog her memory. While Teresa sat alone in the interview room, but obviously monitored by a hidden camera, she could be heard whispering to herself, Oh great, I forgot about that. Once the detectives returned, she stated that a secret admirer had left the note on her car years before. Which, I don't understand why she would have said it was from years before. If it was from years ago, wouldn't she have already thrown it away so her husband didn't see it? I highly doubt someone leaves just trash laying in their trash can for years, right? So, but the birthday note also revealed some more enlightening information. One that which Teresa was not going to divulge quickly. The note also stated... I remember nine years ago telling you that I had something for you in my office. It was me. I wanted to give you me. That kiss you took and then you gave me one back. I felt like it was my birthday. Whispers had already spread through the department of Teresa's love affair. The spontaneous and passionate affair began rather slowly. First starting with weekly meetings, whenever the opportunity presented itself. Whenever Teresa knew her husband would be away from their insurance office for at least an hour or so, she would call Pastor Love. Soon their meetings increased to three times a week before reaching one or two times a day. In 2005, Teresa found out that she had become pregnant. Something that would have definitely been difficult to hide from Randy, especially since he had undergone a vasectomy, which it could happen. But Teresa was pretty sure it was David Love's baby. The news that she was pregnant shocked Randy, but he had seen other couples conceive after undergoing vasectomies. However, Teresa experienced a miscarriage, and to her, she felt that God spared her when this happened. But of course, Randy had his suspicions. In 2008, Randy told one of the church staff that he soon would leave New Hope Baptist because he suspected his wife was having an affair with the pastor. The person he confided in replied, Randy, that's ridiculous. You need to be careful of the accusations you make when it comes to those kinds of things because that's a life-changing accusation for a pastor. But in the end, Randy chose to stick with his wife and minister, even submitting to weekly counseling with David after Teresa caught him watching pornography. Finding her husband watching such videos troubled Teresa, and she responded by falling more deeply into her pastor's arms. In turn, David responded in more impulsive ways. David posed in front of a digital camera for 30 profoundly intimate photographs. Once he sent them to Teresa, he made sure to delete them off his computer. In January 2009, David Love sent a series of passionate emails to Teresa. I long for the touch of your hand as you walk by, and the twinkle in your pretty blue eyes as you smile at me. You are my doll. Your encouragement is all that keeps me going. Thank you for being so wonderful, beautiful, sexy, and smart. I live to please you. I am so totally in love with you. David and Teresa would sometimes entertain the idea of what it would be like to be married one email investigators had recovered stated, I cannot wait to watch you walk to me, knowing we are officially about to be married publicly. I love your ideas. I love your plans. I think you can collect wedding info and file it as if you are planning for your daughter. Teresa responded that she would love to have an outdoor wedding with David. Maybe a rose garden or something like that. My dress, I'm not sure. When I find the perfect dress, you will be the first to see it. 
While they continued their sordid affair, Pastor Love reminded Teresa Stone of the biblical King David, Israel's warrior king, who demonstrated that no man's depravity was beyond God's forgiveness. He was not even above murder, David claimed. King David, for example, orchestrated the death of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, so he could take her as his wife. David told Teresa, and God still blessed him. Teresa tried to discourage her lover from such extremes, telling him, if God wants us to be together, God will make it happen. The day after Randy's death, Pastor David Trump called David Love to see how he was doing. He had heard that someone had gunned down a prominent member of his church the evening before. But the answer Pastor Love gave Trump was not an answer he was expecting. Like a river glorious, Love stated cheerfully, which is a happy quotation from a 19th century hymn that celebrated being perfectly at peace with God. Then Love quickly changed the subject to the recent NCAA basketball tournament. David Trump was a pastor of a Baptist church in West Virginia and had known David and Kim Love since 1990. He was also friends with Randy and Teresa Stone. Trump hadn't heard or spoken to either of the couples in years. But earlier that morning, Teresa called him to inform him that Randy had been shot and then quickly started accounting for her activities that day before hanging up after a 10-minute conversation. Which is odd, to say the least, right? So after David Trump got off the phone with Teresa, he immediately called David Love to make sure that this wasn't some cruel April Fool's joke because, I mean, it was April 1st. But after David returned the call and seemingly tried to change the subject, Trump steered the conversation from college basketball back to Randy Stone because that's what he called for. He wanted to know more about it. David Love responded, much like Teresa, with a detailed description of his day, making sure to mention a funeral service he had performed in Gladstone in the early afternoon, a stop he made for a sandwich, and a hospital visit he had made in South Kansas City much later in the afternoon. So Trump just merely asked, you know, do you think you'll be questioned? I could be, and if I am, I have a stack of dirt on Randy Stone, which is also very weird to bring up, but you know, okay. The pastor spoke briefly about Love's plans for Randy's funeral and ended the conversation. After hanging up, Trump thought about an earlier discussion that now deeply troubled him. When the Stones visited Pastor David Trump back in 2002, Randy had confided that he'd found a letter from Teresa filled with intimate fantasies and written to someone named David. Randy advised that he confronted Teresa, who responded that she'd read the staging an affair letter could improve, you know, Randy and Teresa's intimate relationship. So Randy never raised the subject with Trump again. But within hours of Randy's death, Teresa Stone and David Love each had shared their complete alibis for the day Randy had been killed. Trump felt uneasy and thought about contacting the police in Missouri about his suspicions, but he chose to hold off because he thought the, the whole situation was just too implausible to happen in real life. So there were many rumors about an affair between David Love and Teresa Stone. But while the congregation had their suspicions, the police needed to prove that there was one. At Stone's funeral, as detectives watched outside, his longtime pastor had given a moving eulogy for the 42-year-old Marine veteran, respected businessman, and church leader. On April 20, 2010, Teresa Stone signed a Miranda waiver, which meant she agreed to be interviewed without an attorney 
Detective Keith Rose Warren had plenty of reasons to suspect Teresa and Pastor David with all the long-term affair rumors that were swirling around. But it wasn't only the rumors that made her look suspicious to the detectives. It was also her demeanor. Normally, detectives receive constant phone calls from bereaved spouses to gain information and offer new leads. But Teresa had been entirely silent the entire time. Up to this point, just from hearsay and a few notes detectives found, they believed that Teresa and David were engaged in a nearly 10-year affair. They also thought that Teresa gave David the 40 caliber Glock that belonged to her husband, and that they had made plans to kill him while using disposable cell phones. Investigators believed she would be the easiest to break down. So, Rosebourne started off the questioning with the torn-up note detectives found in Teresa's trash can. She had initially stated that she had no idea who had written the note, then claimed that it appeared on her windshield from a secret admirer, and torn it up so her husband wouldn't see it. Rose Warren started, We have to know who wrote that note and what's going on behind it. I think you understand if you have somebody who's infatuated with you that's been pursuing you, we can't rule that person out as a suspect. Rose Warren then pointed to passages within the note where the writer said, I praise you, I adore you, I'm blessed by you. This verbiage indicated to detectives that whoever wrote it is involved in Christianity or the church. So the detective asked, was it David Love? Teresa shrunk at the question before saying, yeah, he wrote it. Detective Rose Warren then asked, is there any chance that David Love had anything to do with your husband's death? Do you think he's capable of it? No, she replied. Detective Rose Warren would slowly get Teresa to admit to a few things. He was able to get her to confess that she and David would communicate with cell phones to hide a counseling relationship from David's wife. But the detective started to grow weary and just tired when she would continually deny having a sexual relationship with love. I've got about 20 detectives out there that want to take this to a grand jury tomorrow. They think we have enough evidence against you to have you charged because they think you're involved in this. Not that you killed him, but that you had something to do with this. Teresa's jaw dropped at his statement and she began sobbing. I have told you everything that happened on that day, she said. I have receipts to show you. My daughter was with me. But aware of the birthday love note and secret cell phones, Rose Warren wasn't buying that her relationship with David Love was celibate. He continued, we're not going to wave red flags and tell the world, okay? I already know what you're going to say, but I just, I, I have to hear it from you. Yes, Teresa finally confessed while sobbing. We had sex. While also confessing that she miscarried Love's child in 2005. Switching course, Rose Warren picked at the odd discrepancy between the first two calls she made after finding Randy's body. He found it odd that she called her parents to tell them Randy had been shot, but told emergency services that Randy had blood coming out of his ear. So Rose Warren pressed further. Who told you that he had been shot? How did you know that he'd been shot? And why didn't you tell us? You're not being truthful with me, Teresa. Teresa shook her head, declaring that she didn't know. But the detective told her that she wasn't being truthful. I didn't, she started, then paused. Brother love, Teresa finally broke down, taking the case beyond theories and circumstantial evidence. The text was very vague, stating, Seriously urgent. Do not go back to the office. Investigators suspected from the shell casing found at the insurance office that Randy had been fatally shot with his own gun. But the question remained, how did Brother Love get the gun? Teresa acted puzzled. 
However, she speculated that Love may have memorized the combination of Randy's gun safe when her husband was showing off his firearms collection. It was a plausible explanation, but authorities were not satisfied with that statement. Detective Rose Warren even stated, This is tearing you up. I'm trying to protect a godly man, supposed to be a godly man. He told me in my room that next day. Teresa began sobbing and hyperventilating. So Rose Warren gave a half-hearted attempt at calming the suspect before saying, What did he say? Teresa stated that David Love told her, You know, if you tell them that, I'm going to jail for murder. Throughout the entire interview, Teresa remained adamant that she had no role in planning the killing. Rose Warren even concluded that she seemed willing to acknowledge terrible behavior on her own part, but nothing that could expose her to criminal liability. So she was willing to be like, okay, yes, I'm morally wrong. I was having an affair, but I didn't plan any of this. I didn't, I didn't take his life. You know, anything that would seem like it would put her in jail, she would vehemently deny. So she also wasn't afraid to blame everything on the pastor. The detective took a short break from the interview because even though they gained a lot of information from Teresa, there was still a long way to go. And Teresa more than proved that she did not give up the truth easily. One idea that seemed as though it would be beneficial, maybe even solve the case, was to somehow put Teresa and David together to see if he would say anything useful. With the interview taking more than six hours, the detectives thought of an idea. They would have Teresa call Pastor Love at home and press him for a confession. As there was no way out now, Teresa agreed to their plan. So at 12.43 a.m. on April 21st, Teresa called David, who immediately appeared suspicious. Teresa stated, You have to do something. I can't live like this anymore. This is just killing me. Okay, he responded. Who's there with you now? Are you home? It became clear that David's wife, Kim, stood nearby, hindering David's ability to speak honestly. But Teresa pushed him to continue, to try and get a confession out of him. I need to know why. I need to know why you killed my husband. I need to know. Please, I can't live like this anymore. Before David could respond, Kim took the phone from her husband, demanding to know why Teresa was calling and asking what she thought her husband had done. Up to this point, Kim forbade David and Teresa to meet without her. Trust you after all that you've already done? She asked, Teresa, what do you want with David? What do you want with my husband? Just tell me what you want. Witnessing that the call wasn't going anywhere, Rose Warren gestured for Teresa to just hang up. But at the love home, Kim started questioning her husband. She asked David if he was going to hurt her if he had anything to do with this, and what Teresa was doing. He denied everything his wife questioned him about, but near the end, he stopped paying attention to her. He just knew that Teresa was not about to pin the murder on him. The husband and wife headed to the garage. However, the couple didn't realize that their home and church had been under surveillance the entire evening. They backed out of the driveway at 12.55 a.m. and headed toward the stone home. David glanced in the rearview mirror and noticed that there was a car following them. When he told his wife, Kim became fearful and uncertain. The thought occurred to her that maybe Teresa would pull up and shoot her in the head. She asked David if something was about to happen to her. He reassured her that nothing would happen to her. Then a patrol officer pulled them over, handcuffing and arresting Pastor David Love. Officers assured Kim that she was not a suspect in the case, and she agreed to go to headquarters for an interview. As they waited for David's arrival at headquarters, Rose Warren questioned Teresa's willingness to meet with Love to get him to say something just anything useful. 
she agreed to help, stating, I would hope that he would cooperate with you guys, being that he is in the state that he is in. I mean, as a man of God, he is held liable to the most high God we have, and I know I am too. I would think he would be honest. Escorted by two detectives, David Love arrived at police headquarters, where he and Teresa met. Both stared at each other without saying a word at first. Once they were put in a room together, neither one spoke the truth. A distraught Teresa told him, I told them everything. David appeared detached and unbothered by her confession, saying, Don't worry, I'll take care of everything. After leaving the room, officers searched Love and placed him in a bare interview room. Probably a creepy detail from this was just how unbothered Love was. As detectives made him wait in the room by himself, instead of sweating bullets or allowing anxiety to set in, he clasped his hands in his lap and stared straight ahead. He barely made a movement for nine minutes. He sat still in that posture for nine minutes. And to be honest, no one is that calm to sit still for that long in an interview room. Whether you're guilty or not, I don't see anyone sitting still for that long because even, you know, when you're innocent, you're going to be sitting there like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get blamed for all of it, you know, and you would have that anxiety, right? But he didn't have any anxiety. It's like it didn't sink in how much trouble he was actually in. So Detective Rose Warren finally entered the room, exhausted from interviewing Teresa for the past eight hours. So he started the conversation. I'm going to tell you right now that this is not easy because I know that you have spent your whole life working for the Lord. You are the leader of a church, and from what I know now, this is hard. It's not going to be easy. You just need to find it in your heart to have the courage to be truthful with me and put it in the Lord's hands. But before the detective could begin asking David questions, he needed him to agree to be interviewed without an attorney, which Love declined telling him that he'd rather have a lawyer present. He had stated, I definitely need some kind of representation because I'm a preacher. I don't know the law. So Rose Warren got up to leave the room, but told Love to expect charges soon. We're going to take the case file to the courthouse tomorrow and ask for an arrest warrant for murder. Love again clasped his hands unfazed by the detective's words, sat completely still and waited for detectives to return with the handcuffs. So while detectives were having a difficult time gaining answers from Teresa and David, they found a very cooperative witness in David's wife, Kim. She had been highly suspicious of her husband agreed to speak with investigators so that she could figure out what they knew, and she shared details of her own investigation into David and Teresa's odd relationship. She shared with the investigators how, during her nearly 28 years of marriage to David, her insecurities that came from being married to such a charismatic spiritual leader she stated that a handsome pastor and all that stuff, sometimes you kind of fear women. During the interview, Kim confirmed the theory of her husband and Teresa communicating with disposable cell phones. In March 2003, she'd caught him late at night in the family's kitchen, sending the text, I love and miss you, to a number she didn't recognize. When she confronted him about it, David explained it away as a text to someone he didn't know, a nobody really, and immediately took texting off his cell phone plan, telling her, I'll prove to you that I love only you. A year later, on March 16, 2010, 
Kim suspected that he was sending text messages again when he disappeared into the garage during a televised University of North Carolina basketball game. When her husband returned to the game, she stormed out to look for a phone, but found nothing. Defeated, she returned to the couch and prayed. She told the detectives, I said, Lord, if there's something out there, you help me find it. And I went back out and put my hand right on that phone. Her husband immediately acknowledged that he had been texting Teresa, but insisted that it was just a talking relationship and that he was counseling her on her marriage. I'm so dumb to believe all of this, Kim told the detectives. It's like movies that you watch. Kim had been highly suspicious of Teresa for a very long time. Eleven years before, she caught Teresa putting her head on David's shoulder while talking to him. She had quickly put an end to that behavior, telling her husband that it doesn't look very good. Because, to be honest, if you're a pastor and a woman did that, if you're married, that does not that would look really bad for the entire congregation. It's almost as if he was rubbing her face in it, you know? Like he was trying to be secretive, but at the same time it was like he was kind of in her face with it because he would get caught, come up with a stupid excuse, and almost, and it, it's never, it was never really a good excuse, but it was kind of good enough, basically, that his wife didn't feel the need to question it any further. So, it was really, you know, stupid on David's part. Kim also stated, Sometimes you just have a feeling about certain women that kind of have a thing for your husband. I just always kind of felt like she did, but I could never put my finger on anything he did wrong. The following years only proved to grow her suspicions. In 2010, David gave Kim a silver ring that he had purchased from a jewelry store in Independence. The ring wasn't really to Kim's liking, so she decided she was going to bring it back, make an exchange. So a retail clerk printed out a copy of the receipt, which the receipt included a $299 silver ring. It was set with several small diamonds. Her husband had only paid a sixth as much for... Kim's ring, which was $49.99. It was strange, but her birthday was coming up soon. So she thought, you know, maybe David had been saving it for the special occasion, you know? Maybe it's just a birthday present. But Kim remained curious, wondering what the ring looked like. So she checked the jewelry store website, and she saw the image of the ring. Immediately, she recognized it as one of the rings Teresa had been wearing along with her wedding ring. At church that Wednesday night, Kim decided to talk about the ring with Teresa. Kim cooed at Teresa, stating, you know, ooh, that's a pretty ring. And Teresa snapped at her, saying, that's a $9.99 ring from JCPenney. So her reaction was curious to Kim. It's curious that she had that reaction to anybody, really, right? So Kim then confronted her husband about it. I mean, she had evidence. She had the receipt. She looked up what it looked like. And, you know, Teresa was wearing that very ring. David quickly recovered the ring from Teresa and gave it to his wife. He gave that ring to his mistress. And when he got caught, he took the ring back and gave it to his wife. I mean, is that not a slap in the face? Still, he insisted that the relationship was not physical. Kim told the detectives that she really believed him. He said, the stupidest thing I've ever done was buy her that ring. So before leaving the interview, Kim had one more useful bit of information to share with the investigators. Digging into her purse, she grabbed a slip of paper containing phone numbers that 
she'd copied from the disposable cell phone she had found in the garage on March 16th. She'd thrown the telephone in an independent center trash can after returning both rings to the jewelry store and picking out a new gold one. Shockingly, she took the news that investigators believed her husband was directly involved in Randy Stone's death, and they believed David had made plans to kill her. She took the news on both of those remarkably well. So well that the detectives had to ask, how is it that you are holding it together right now? Kim simply stated, it's God. I'm surprised, but I had my questions. David Love spent 24 hours in a jail cell while awaiting to be charged with his involvement in Randy Stone's murder. But during his stay, he called family members asking that they bring him a Bible and a hairbrush. Each time he called his wife, she would press him on whether the investigators' accusations were true. She asked him, did Teresa set you up? Or, you know, what's going on? Well, this is all being recorded, David would respond, trying to change the topic. So, I think I'm going to appear in the morning sometime to get an attorney, and I think they call that being arraigned. Did you do it? Kim questioned again. Honey, I wish you could be there with me in the morning, he said. Did you do it? Sweetheart, it is not wise for me to say anything on the phone because it's being recorded, okay? He finally stated. Unfortunately, the murder charge that Detective Rose Warren promised David would come the next day did not come to fruition because prosecutors wanted more proof, evidence, or even a confession before filing any charges. The analysis of cell phone records and of David's computers were still being sifted through and the results from these devices would take months. So, with nothing to go on and no charges brought against him, David walked out of jail free and into a storm of questions from his church members. David called a meeting at his home on April 23rd to announce to seven church members that he was resigning as pastor. He gave a written statement which read, It is with remorse and repentance that I resign. I have sinned against my Lord, my family, and against Lord's Church. I am resigning because of my sin of immorality. I have asked God to forgive me for sinning and deceiving my family and each of you. I ask the staff, deacons, officers, and members to receive my resignation and to forgive me of my sin. A church deacon later reported that David admitted to the affair but denied any role in Randy's murder. On the following Sunday, Rose Warren and a squad of detectives and officers appeared at David Love's house to serve a search warrant. Police gathered the family together while officers took photos and gathered evidence. David Love, in turn, gathered the family around a piano and treated police to a family gospel sing-along. But the media and police attention weighed on the preacher. After the detectives left, David Love snuck out of town with his brother. David would not tell Kim where he was going, but instructed her to contact his brothers if she needed him. He took his birth certificate and passport with him. Randy Stone's mother, Clara Kohler, met with Teresa at a smokehouse barbecue in June 2010, wearing a wire. Luckily, Teresa did not seem to notice the transmitter that was wrapped around Kohler's waist nor did she notice the microphone that they had hidden under her blouse, like right underneath the sleeve of her blouse. Investigators were still curious as to how David gained access to Randy's gun and how culpable was Teresa. 
While eating lunch with her mother-in-law, Teresa theorized that maybe the pastor hadn't act alone. She told her mother-in-law, maybe Love had someone else shoot Randy, and he just came in to check that Randy was dead and closed the blinds. Teresa concluded that the Independence Police didn't seem to have much information or evidence and stated that they were just fishing for information. By summer 2010, Independence Police had stitched together a convincing circumstantial case against the lovers. As word spread of progress in the investigation, old witnesses came forward with fresh recollections and new witnesses appeared with insights into how the couple had behaved immediately after Randy's death. David Trump, the Baptist pastor that's in West Virginia, contacted detectives and reported that he'd spoken with David Love and Teresa Stone the day after the murder, and was struck with how both immediately shared their alibis for that afternoon. He offered detectives detailed notes of those phone calls, and even agreed to record any future conversations with the two. However, one of the biggest breakthroughs came when the crime lab established definitively that Randy had been killed with his own 40 caliber Glock, connecting the theory that he had been shot by someone he knew. During the interview in April, Teresa revealed to investigators that David Love had told her he had dumped the weapon 20 miles from the murder scene, but police were not able to find it. Police did recover five old shell casings fired from Randy's gun at a target range on Teresa's parents' property. Weeks later, experts matched firing pin strike marks on those casings with the one on the casing found near Randy's feet the day he died. So Randy's insurance benefits also became clear, and the news shocked Teresa. After a thorough analysis, experts concluded that she was not entitled up to the $800,000 on her husband's death as she first told her friends. Randy had actually taken Teresa off of his policies in 2005, the year she miscarried David Love's child. Randy had directed that money, so it was actually... $625,000, he redirected that money to go to their two children who were minors at the time. Computer forensics gave further insights for detectives into the motive. Recovered emails showed that two weeks before the murder, Randy had made a firm decision to leave New Hope Baptist Church, informing the pastor that he wasn't pleased with the church finances. I am resigning as the finance minister and as a Sunday school teacher, effective immediately, he wrote in the email. He also further stated, I do not want to talk about it, I do not want any emails, and I do not want any visits. Randy also had been upset that church leaders had not been informed that Love's son, who had worked as New Hope's music director, he had been charged with driving while intoxicated. That point was particularly sensitive for Randy because Love knew that in this conservative congregation, his son's legal problems could lead to the pastor's dismissal. So since he didn't tell the church leaders of his son's legal problems, that was a big no-no. And apparently, Randy loves playing by the book. He likes playing by the rules. And so that deeply upset him. Randy's announcement prompted an ugly showdown at the insurance office. Love accused Randy of being too prideful and tried to drive a wedge between Randy and Teresa by accusing Teresa of sexual indiscretions with two other men. The showdown did not shake Randy's determination to leave New Hope, but he was gracious in a follow-up email to David. He said, I love you, Pastor, 
and I really wish things could be different. But too much has been said and done to come back. As detectives examined the new information, the primary motive for the homicide became clear. The insurance money was a factor for Teresa. But by walking away from the church, Randy was taking Teresa farther away from David. She would no longer work in the kitchen. She would no longer attend choir rehearsals or even hear David's sermons. Randy also knew or suspected enough to possibly crash David Love's future. His financial questions could get David fired from New Hope. And if he acted on suspicions of his wife's affair, Randy could wreck any hope that David Love ever would work again as a Baptist pastor. Whether or not Randy realized it, he had become the greatest threat to David Love's happiness and livelihood. Soon after the killing, prosecutors and investigators had agreed that the case only would be charged when the investigation was as complete as detectives could make it. They reached their comfort level in November 2010 when prosecutors presented their evidence to a grand jury. Now they had to find and bring David in as the grand jury indicted him on first-degree murder charges. He was currently working as a long-haul truck driver in South Carolina. Detectives Keith Rose Warren and Christina Nunez were hovering over the speakerphone at the truck terminal as Love's supervisor called him to make him come to the office to sign some paperwork. This was all just a ruse to get him to come to the office so that they could arrest him. But everyone heard the rising suspicion creep into David Love's voice at the call's other end. Everybody in the Tidewater trucking office was really antsy. They got really anxious after 10 minutes of waiting Finally, a worker stepped into the office and said that Love had parked his 18-wheeler outside the gate and then gotten in his car and took off. Detectives got in their vehicle to make it to the Love's home when they received a call from an officer that they had left at the office stating that he was back. So everyone thought that Love was trying to flee, but that's not what he was trying to do. Because he suspected that he was about to be arrested, he had gone to get his wife so she would be there to take the car and hopefully keep it from being placed in the police impound lot because that's what happened to their cars back in Independence. As Rose Warren returned to the truck terminal, Kim immediately recognized him as one of the detectives who had searched her home and she was obviously distraught asking him, do you believe he did this? The Spartanburg County deputy already had handcuffed David Love's wrists. And later at the county jail, Rose Warren showed Love the arrest warrant. He stated, here are your first degree murder charges. You've lost your job. You've moved out here. You're not talking to us. Is this working for you? But Love fell back on a familiar line. I just feel I need an attorney. I don't trust you guys. Continuing to press, Rose Warren told him that people hurting back in independence needed closure. This brought tears to David Love's eyes. He said, look, Randy was a friend of mine too. Eight months after her husband's murder, Teresa Stone was finally ready to reveal her final secrets. She had yet to detail just how her former lover had obtained her husband's 40 caliber Glock, which fired the fatal shot. And she still hadn't been honest about whether she encouraged Love to commit the murder or helped him plan it. But hoping desperately to avoid a long prison sentence and thinking that cooperation would help, she sat down with prosecutors. Accompanied by her defense lawyer, Teresa announced that she was prepared without conditions or promises to answer questions under oath. For anything to work, Teresa would have to show that she could make crisp and truthful admissions without frustrating detectives. Prosecutors got right to the point asking how Love was going to get access to Randy's guns. 
She simply replied, I gave him the code to the gun safe and the code to our garage door and to our alarm code. The prosecutor then asked if David had access to her house, to which Teresa stated, yeah, he did. So Teresa admitted that she helped turn Love into a killer. I sent him a text that said I want him dead. I told him that I just wanted him out of my life. David Love took a plea deal by pleading guilty and taking full responsibility without having to go to trial. He would serve a full life sentence, 20 years, with the possibility of parole. At first, he refused the deal, but was later persuaded to take it because if found guilty in the court, he would not have been eligible for parole. Teresa Stone pled not guilty for charges that she helped plan the killing of her husband. The jury found her guilty and was sentenced to eight years in prison. Her son stated, We need her in every way. I can't stand the thought of losing my mom after already losing my dad. Her daughter also added, I'm not asking you to let her escape that punishment. I'm just asking that you show her mercy on that punishment. That is it for today's case. What did you think of it? Do you think Teresa and David received the punishment they deserved? Let me know your thoughts and requests in the comments. As always, stay safe and I will see you for the next episode. Bye!